Fourth and one from just across midfield. Look under center now. Juggles the snap, but gets it away. And McCoy has the first down and a lot, lot more. In fact, a touchdown. What is up, Football Nation? Welcome to Episode 8 of the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters Podcast. I am the host, Steve Bennett, and my co-host is Don Russ. What's up, Don? Hey. It is uh, Wednesday, May 22nd, 2012. Like I said, this is Episode 8. We're excited to uh, bring you today an interview with Aaron Nagler of BleacherReport.com and Cheesehead TV. Uh, also, we're going to be doing three things today, and we're going to be taking a look at this week in Football Nation. Uh, don't forget to check out last week's uh, podcast. We are lucky enough to have Chris Burke, uh, the author of the Audible's blog on SI.com. We kind of talked a lot about the uh, rookie camps that were going on last weekend and um, some other topics with Chris. You can find that at www.footballnation.com, and you can also find it on iTunes as well as this podcast. Uh, also, wanted to mention our other podcast, uh, the Sportscasters Proper, as we now call it, is available at www.sports-casters.com, and uh, we had Kenny Albert on this week to uh, talk about uh, playoff hockey, and we'll, we'll tell you a little bit more about that at the end. But uh, basically, really, we don't want to waste any time. We want to get right into it and uh, start things off the way we do every week uh, with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Alright, so over the last, I'd say year... The Detroit Lions seem to have been earning a reputation as being maybe one of the dirtier teams in the league. Sure, Sue. I'm thinking of Sue. I'm thinking of that game against the Saints on Sunday Night Football where they had all kinds of personal foul penalties. Right, Someone right. pushed a ref. Well, news came out of OTAs. OTAs are usually pretty quiet. Actually, I don't know about you, Don, but it's felt like maybe the quietest week in the NFL yeah, in a long is, time. This has been a quiet one. And uh, Detroit opened OTAs on Monday, and uh, wide receiver Titus Young has reportedly been banned from the team's facility indefinitely after getting into a fight with safety Louis Delmas. Uh, Delmas was in attendance on Monday, so I guess the question is if there's a fight, takes two to tango, why did one player get in trouble and one didn't? Well, according to the Detroit News, uh, Young sucker punched. Delmas after the two exchanged words. Ooh. Young is known for being hot-headed, but his teammates don't sound worried. Uh, Cliff Avril said on his Twitter, Twitter page, things happen, they will be fine. Uh, Young's actions <laughs> have upset his wide receiver teammates. Uh, Calvin Johnson, who threw out the first pitch at the Detroit Tigers game on Friday, uh, said that um, we can't talk about that. Uh, it's kind of short about it. Didn't want to yeah, get yeah. Didn't want to get into it. 
Um, I'll say this. Tuddy Young better be careful. Detroit Lions drafted Ryan Broyles, who is one of the greatest wide receivers in the history of NCAA football. And yes, he's recovering from an ACL injury, but you don't want to get this kind of a reputation as a bad guy in the locker room. You know, it's one thing for Nadama Kinsu to stomp on a Green Bay Packer. It's another thing to be sucker punching a teammate. Especially on a team that isn't they're not the punchline that the Lions were a few years ago. I mean, this is this is a, a good team trying to compete with the elite teams in the NFC. Uh, you don't want, and who's been an average player so far, and Titus Young to be a distraction of that, and they, they won't let him. Got to credit Greg Rose, Rosenthal, uh, the Around the League editor, for that. Uh, a lot of the information I took from that story, which you can find on NFL.com if you want to get into the fan discussion. Uh, you can do that as well, but not a great start to the season for uh, Titus, Titus Young. Young. Yeah, another uh, Boise State. Another style. Uh, training camp story is Colt McCoy is held a press conference, basically where he said, or was part of a press conference, I should say, where he says he wants a fair competition. Uh, the Browns moved up in the draft to select Brandon Whedon, the 28-year-old rookie, and. McCoy wants his fair shot. Basically, said if it's a if it's a fair competition, then that's all you can ask for, quote unquote, from McCoy. And uh, I I respect him for wanting to compete, but there's no way. It's, yeah, I don't think you spend a first round pick no. on a guy who's 28 years old. Absolutely not. And then bring him in and tell him to go compete, and then have him ultimately sit behind Colt McCoy, right. who's had. A couple of years now, I think two seasons, to prove that he should be the quarterback there, and he hasn't done that. Right, and toward the end of his rookie season, maybe he looked pretty solid. I was a little bit surprised when in the following year, they did nothing to help him out. Uh, That's his argument. His argument is there. that there's no talent on offense, and unfortunately this year, our other first-round pick was Trent, Trent Richardson, Richardson yep. a guy who, through the running game, can take a lot of pressure off of the passing game. But I'm with you, Don. I, I don't see this being a, an open competition. I think that if they they're going to do what they can do to get him the most reps, Whedon, that is, the most reps with the first team as possible. I don't think they're going to want him to be in a competition. I, I know he probably isn't as old as some 28-year-olds that have been in the league for this long, but they still have to feel like there's some sort of shelf life on Brandon Whedon, and they want to figure out if he can do it now. They're not going to put him. In, they're not going to let him sit behind somebody for two, three years. So there's just no way. It's a bad. It's a bad spot for Colt McCoy. But like you said, he could have helped his case by, by by winning some games or just looking above average at all. And he really hasn't to this point. My second story today: uh, the NFL owners are meeting in Atlanta, and there's a story from the AP. Uh, it says the NFL has made thigh and knee pads mandatory equipment for the 2013 season, something the players union could oppose because the move was not collectively bargained. Huh. Uh, a comment from Rich McKay, who's the chairman of the competition committee, says we have to vote. We have a vote of the membership and can implement. Some of us felt we were remiss that we took it out of the rule book. High school and college makes it mandatory and our mind is that is how it should be and will be in 2013. We will have some work to do with the union. Uh, basically, the issue is that without the pads, players uh, feel lighter. Um, okay. Makes you feel a little bit faster, skinnier. But that's you know 
means if there's no pad on there, you take a shot to the leg, and it's uh, shot right on the right on the flesh and the bone. And player safety is obviously something that they're working the best they can to increase. Sure, it and doesn't help the head injuries, but I think it's great for running backs. I mean, I I, I couldn't imagine being a running back and not, not having this to, kind right. of equipment. With all the ways you can injure yourself, it's not, probably nothing worse than missing a game because you have a deep thigh bruise. She didn't have a, you know, a, right. a thigh pad. And I feel like the words deep thigh bruise have been mentioned many times in NFL injury reports. And if they can eliminate that, that'd be great. Uh, one other thing that came out today is that the owners voted to move the trading deadline from after week six to after week eight. Uh, so that and to allow one marquee player placed on injured reserve to return to practice after the sixth game and to the lineup after the eighth game. The player must be on the 53-man roster after the final preseason cut. Yeah, okay, that's that's significant. That's significant because Terrell Suggs, uh, right, right. You know, who recently went under uh, surgery for torn Achilles tendon, is saying that he wanted to come back around midseason. Now they can wait a little bit to make that decision instead of having to put him on IR for the roster spot. Right. So some interesting things. To come out, and also, Don, you mentioned that uh, the NFL made a decision today to allow the Bills to extend Extend their five-year, or they have extended four or five years their agreement with Toronto, so. Looks like there's going to be a game in Toronto. It seems like it's been a failed experiment, but I I don't know. I guess they're not ready to give up on it. I would have been. I guess not. Uh LaShawn McCoy in other news, uh, fantasy news, I guess you could call it a little bit because you don't have to worry about him holding out or anything of that nature. He has agreed to a five-year deal worth $45 million, a five-year extension with the Eagles. Uh, not too much to say about that other than uh, good for the Eagles. you got you got to pay talent. I guess they've done what Chicago has yet Chicago to do. Chicago hasn't done it yet. And, and you could say New Orleans with Breeze or you could say – no, West Maybe Welker. Jacksonville should do it with Jacksonville MJD. with MJD, who's sitting out. Right. There was an interesting uh, interview that McCoy did on NFL Network. He said he wasn't planning on holding out, but it seemed like that was kind of a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Um, so I think it's a good thing they got this, this done. And, you know, last year with the holdout of Chris Johnson and then the way Chris Johnson played last season, which was a huge step down from the way he had played the year before, Maybe it was a little bit of motivation here because LaShawn McCoy has proven to be a star. He had his best season right. in the NFL last year. So I think if you're an Eagles fan, you're super happy. If you're a fan of uh, – if you're a fantasy player who has him on a, a franchise team, you're super happy. Right, right. Or if you're a guy with like a fourth or fifth overall pick in your fantasy draft, it's going to make him a, an even safer call than he was before in a year that there might not be too many safe calls. That's right. All right, my last story today, my third thing. Uh, Special Master Stephen Burbank has granted the NFL's motion to dismiss the grievance filed by the Dallas Cowboys and Washington Redskins regarding the salary cap situation that occurred during the league's uncapped year. Uh, League counsel Jeff Pash said in Atlanta on Tuesday, uh, this means the league's decision to impose a $36 million salary cap reduction over two years on the Redskins as well as a $10 million Cap reduction over two years for the Cowboys will be upheld. Uh, those reductions were the result of the way both teams structured contracts when the NFL was working without a salary cap in 2010. Uh, 
In a joint safety or statement, the Redskins and Cowboys indicated they will not pursue any further legal action in court. The matter is effectively closed. So, I don't know, Don. Wouldn't you feel a little pissed if you're a fan of the Redskins and Cowboys? Yeah, and we said this before that it, it's a tough thing to do. Like Leading up to that uncapped year, teams knew they were going to be an uncapped year, so they, they spent like it was an uncapped year. I mean... I, I don't. I, I guess they were how they warned. The Apparently, yeah. they were warned. Whatever that means, and I guess it's not that they spent too much money during the uncapped year. It's the way that they structured contracts during that year to maybe circumvent certain salary cap restrictions that they knew were coming. Yeah, that's it's it's a but tough it's pill tough. to swallow either way. Really I, tough. I'm not a fan of any of those teams, but that'd be a tough pill to swallow if you're if you are. Um, Last week I had a lot of upbeat stories and good feel-good stories, and this week is uh, no exception with this last one. John Kitna, uh, good backup, I suppose, quarterback in the NFL. For good backup, okay starter who struggled through some of the worst seasons in Detroit Lions history. He has retired, but only from the NFL. He's actually gone on to be a high school math teacher. And from the wording of this article, it says, how, uh, how did a man who played 16 years of professional football and made millions of dollars wind up voluntarily in a classroom at the most impoverished high school in Pierce County? I heard so that it, it was a So it sounds like it's a voluntary well. position, and I be- this is the uh, high school that he went to. He actually applied before he was picked up by the Seahawks. So he applied to the school back in, I believe, 96 Wow. And uh, before he ended up with Seattle, he says it was really never a question of when, uh, of if he was going to teach, more more about when. It was more of a question of if he was going to play football. I think he was kind of surprised, obviously, if he was putting in applications for teaching jobs, and he didn't really love his odds of making it to the NFL. But just a real cool story. This one was at the Seattle Times, so check it out. John Kitna. Uh, he's now a math teacher, working hard, getting up at seven in the morning to teach. And you know he was a man of the Lord. You yeah. know he's a very faith-based so man, and he he's given back. He's he's a. I I think anyone who who's watched him or, or have listened to him talk know that he's uh he's he's serious and he's um I I would imagine very very serious in his mission to try and improve the lives of these kids in the school where he went. There's a cool story here where it says uh, after he was introduced in January, he came, went to the school board and said that he and his wife wanted to buy all new equipment for the weight room. And uh, the school board said, fantastic, let's go. We just have to go a formal route and get the approval since the project was going to exceed 50 grand. And Kitna says there's, there's a problem with that, and that's I already bought it. <laughs> so uh, it says on February 24th, they got permission to install the weight room equipment that he had bought that was waiting in trucks outside. So uh, good good for you, John Kitna. And it's nice to see that NFL players get criticized so often for just kind of sleepwalking through college and basically get, being given degrees and that type of thing. But he's actually doing something with his and bettering his community. Yeah, and we're going to try to keep at least one of these feel-good stories in each week as we go through sure. the offseason to try to keep in mind why we, we do spend so much time <laughs> you know, loving and admiring these, these guys. Uh, but that's it for three things today. We're going to take a break. We're going to come right back with Erin Nagler from uh, the BleacherReport.com and Cheesehead TV. 
and then we'll be back, close close up the show, and uh, look at some of the articles that made Football Nation great this week. So we're going to take a break, come right back with Aaron Nigler. <laughs> Our guest today lives in New York City and is a graduate of the North Carolina School of the Arts. In 2006, he co-founded Cheesehead TV, a WordPress blog that became the most popular independent Packers website on the internet. In March, he was named the national NFL blogger at BleacherReport.com. At Bleacher Report, he co-edits the Go Route football blog that is updated daily. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Aaron Nagler. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing well. Thanks for that extensive intro. You're too kind. How about the uh, Packers fight song? No love for that? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Always, always a welcome addition to any appearance. <laughs> um, you know, things seemed like they were kind of slowing down, and then today all hell broke loose when Chris Gronkowski was traded. Yes, obviously. The big trade between the Colts and the Broncos has everyone talking. Yeah, it seems like, you know... Maybe, maybe it's the collusion case filed by the Players Union. I, don't, I can't remember which one. Right, it was one of the two, it was one of the two that kind of got things uh, going today. But, uh, you know, I don't know, Aaron, I thought there was labor peace, no? Yeah, well, for 10 years, we get to look forward to this type of labor peace. Everything the NFL does, the NFLPA will push back on it. I can guarantee you that. That is in D. Smith's blood. It's what he does. He's a former trial lawyer. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I know a lot of people think I'm anti-players union, which I think is ridiculous. I try and see both sides, and I get my opinion on it. Um, I think D has done a wonderful job and did a fantastic job during the lockout. Um, and he admitted as much to Peter King that he sees the relationship pretty much going forward kind of like we've seen the last year or so, where the players union will always kind of be at odds with the league as far as, as long as D's in charge. And not saying that's the right or wrong approach. It's just it's very different market difference from uh, the way Gene Upshaw operated with uh, former Commissioner Paul Tagliabue. What is kind of your understanding of the NFLPA's, I guess, motion today to to sue the NFL based on collusion during the uncapped season? Well, their their contention is that there was a secret cap. Um, I can't remember the exact amount. I think it was $123 million uh, agreed upon by all 32 teams. And that uh, I know a lot of times people say that the Redskins and Cowboys dumped salary into 2010, which that's not exactly correct. They did, they did some very technical uh, maneuvering of the salary cap that was supposedly touched upon by the league as a no-no. Uh, they went ahead and did it anyway. The league turned around and uh, penalized them, and the players' union signed off on that penalty and now apparently has used that opportunity to claim collusion. Now, obviously, they haven't made any evidence available yet. They don't have, you know, they, they've just sent out a press release. We have a, there's a media call this afternoon, 3.30 Eastern, which I'll be on, um, to give us a few, of them, a few of the particulars, I guess. But, yeah, their contention is that there was a secret cap and that because of the secret cap, up to a billion dollars or maybe more was withheld from the players that they lost out on in 2010. Wow. Now, if you're just a, a casual fan, if, if you don't cover the league for a website, if you don't really get into the, um, the 
the, this backstory kind of a thing or, you know, the, the, the inner workings of labor. If you don't follow guys like uh, uh, Gabe Feldman on Twitter, this, this, right. do, do you need to worry about this at all? Does this Not at all. Not at all. There will still be games in the fall. There will be games for the next 10 years as long as the CBA is in place. Uh, you know, the league will go back and forth with the players union uh, over a multitude of things. Lots of headlines will be made. But ultimately, football will still be played, and that's what everyone, like you say, the most casual fans, that's all they care about. And that's definitely going to happen for the, for the foreseeable future. Now, how does this case, I don't want to get too technical here, because I'm sure neither of us completely understand all the, the legalese, but the NFLPA right. and the NFL are also fighting over the bounty penalties. Are these two cases Absolutely. related at all, or are these just two separate fights? You know, I don't, it's easy, I made a kind of a joke on Twitter while I was coming home today that, you know, maybe this will, will have a, prompt a private meeting between Roger Goodell and D. Smith where they will agree to drop, you know, the collusion case and the bounty stuff in light of neither one of them wanting to show evidence in public, or maybe they will show evidence in public. Um, I don't think they're related per se. Although I do think, like I said, this is just this is D's modus operandi. He is always going to, if he sees any kind of opening, any way, shape, or form that he feels the players are slighted, he is going to fight it as hard as he can, the way that he likes to, which is in court. Um, and that, like I said, that, that's not a judgment on how he does it. That's just how he chooses to do it. Like we said before, uh, it seemed like things were slowing down a little bit. Um, felt like there. It, I thought, and maybe you disagree, but I thought kind of last week was the first week where it really felt like it was the off season. It didn't, you know, that I, I, it almost was getting to that point, and then we had the Junior Seau tragedy, and then it seemed like right. things were kind of grinded down to slow. You're a guy who's in a position that you uh, blog about this league every day, and I just wonder, like, during the slow times, like, how do? You, what's your philosophy in, in trying to keep a blog about the league? interesting and exciting well it's it's it can be tough if you're if you're trying to look at overarching themes you know things like the junior say tragedy kind of brought a lot of you know conversation to the fore about head trauma and about former players and depression and all sorts of stuff and that you know they got to write about that for a while and people did and people are still talking about it and i think ultimately that will lead to a you know some kind of greater discussion down the road between the players union and the, the league in regards to their treatment of head trauma. Um, but, you know, as far as daily keeping up, I don't like to get too far into the weeds in regards to so-and-so, you know, caught a couple of nice passes at minicamp. Right. You know, I don't, I don't go that route. I, I know and there are some that do, and that's great, and I think there's definitely a, an audience for it. For me, it's, it's really more about storylines that I... I I, that I find interesting, and I think if I find them interesting, I'm pretty sure at least one other human being on the planet will. And you know, more often than not, that that tends to that tends to be the case. Now, there's stuff that I find interesting that, no, that <laughs> I can tell you nobody else seems to find interesting, and that's kind of trial and error. You know, I thought this would have a really wide audience, and it didn't. I didn't think anybody would read this, and everybody did. So that happens quite a bit, and uh, it's also a big time of year for lists and for you know grading and rating and who is the best bat and who's the best receiver and who's the best defensive end and blah, blah, blah. And what rookie, what, what are the big training camp battles we're looking forward to? And that's the thing. Everything now is projection. Right. You know, they've started their rookie mini camps. They've started their actual mini camps. 
Um, and they'll start installing offenses and, you know, but other than like a Giants practice today, two guys went down and, you know, things like big injuries may come up. You know, we saw the Terrell Suggs injury happen a couple, couple weeks ago, but you know, the big old, you know, bigger things like that will happen. But for the most part, everything we want to see, everything we want to get to isn't going to happen until training camp. So now it's just trying to find uh, one or two things that interest me and uh, hopefully the audience will come along. You mentioned kind of lists and grading, and, and those are a great way to kill time and to and to stir debate and to bring up conversation. And I'm not going to ask you to make a list or anything, but I'm just curious what, <laughs> what teams you thought have had a really strong offseason and could maybe make a jump this season. Well, I think one of the obvious ones is the Philadelphia Eagles. I think what they've done as far as locking up the core of their talent – from Trent Cole to Deshaun Jackson, uh, you know, all across the board, they've really. I think they're going to be uh, McCoy. Obviously, is in there. I think they're going to be incredibly explosive on offense, and I think their defense will be. I don't know, vastly improved, but I think it will be markedly improved between the Michael Ryan's trade, um, getting Hendricks in the in the draft. I, I just, I, I really think that second year for Juan Castillo will be much better, uh, much more cohesive than. Uh, you know, they were they were kind of a fire drill sometimes on defense last year. So I think the Eagles have definitely improved themselves. I think some a one team that I guess it, I don't know if it's the West Coast thing or maybe it's the East Coast bias, whatever. But one team that's kind of flown under the radar for me, and I think a lot of people are dismissing, is the San Diego Chargers. I think people see you know the the Chargers. We always expect them to start slow, and uh, you know they lost Vincent Jackson in free agency last two years ago. They lost Darren Sproles. Uh, people are kind of counting them out, but I, I see, I, I don't know. I still, I still see the Chargers as a, as a, a pretty good team, and I think they're going to surprise some people who are maybe dismissing them uh, this offseason. Do you have any teams um, on your mind that uh, can, are the opposite? You know, teams that have kind of taken a step back this offseason? I don't know. That's hard because the only thing that's really happened between free agency and the draft is, you know, they've gotten new players. Now there's, I guess there's guys, you know, teams like Houston have lost some guys in free agency. Like they lost Winston on the offensive line. They they lost Mario Williams uh, to Buffalo. Uh, but you know, it's always tough to say these teams have gotten worse. I mean, yeah, guys go away, but then new guys come in, and you don't know what their capabilities are, especially from the draft. You don't know how you know where the surprise is going to come from, where a guy is going to step up from, say, the fourth round and become a surprise starter or. Uh, what first-round player is going to completely bomb out, you know, that, that maybe a team that was counting on when they took him in the top ten. But so in that regard, it's like, yeah, you can look at the teams that were bad last year and say, well, they're going to continue to be bad. But every year this league shows us that one or two teams are going to jump up from that pile of garbage that we saw at the end of the year into, if not, you know, winning their division, then at least, you know, being playoff contenders. It happens every year, and that's what makes the NFL so great. You know, we kind of mentioned it in passing earlier. Uh, the Junior Seau tragedy was, it's one of the worst things I, I can remember. I mean, there's two, uh, two memories that will always, I will always take away from that. One is the just terrible, I don't know if you want to call it a press conference that his mother gave in front of his house. Right. Totally broke right. my heart. And the 911 call, I wish I never played it. But I think one good thing that has come out of it has been uh, a foc- uh, a, an even greater focus on uh, on safety and concussions and also kind of a debate about 
parenting and, and if it's the right decision to allow your children to play football. And I know you have daughters, but if you had a son and if you had a son and he wanted to play football, you know, you're someone who, who covers the league and loves the league. What's your opinion on allowing, you know, a child to, uh, to, to get into the sport? Well, it's interesting. You know, the, I think a lot of that got brought to the forefront when Kurt Warner made the statements that he did about, you know, questioning whether his, his son should be allowed to play. And then there was lots of pushback by NFL players on that, former players anyway. Um, you know, for me, I know it's easy because I do have daughters. So traditionally, they, girls haven't played football and they probably won't. And so it's easy for me to say, if I had a son, I'd absolutely let him play football. And that's how I feel. Now, if I had a real son, would I be saying that? Probably, but I don't know. Uh, but I think it's very, very important that people understand that that's an individual thing. Like, that's something that is within each family that they have to discuss. I hate the idea. I mean, I loathe the idea of someone t- telling someone else, you're making the wrong choice for your child by letting them play football. You don't know them. You don't know their kids. You don't know their relationship. You don't know what their life is like. You don't know anything, you know? And I know lots of great relationships have come out of the game of football as far as who guys have met along the way and bonds that have formed and you know lessons that have been learned in the game of football whether it's you know when you get knocked down you got to get back up again or the you know the importance of teamwork and all sorts of stuff so i'm never going to be one to say to someone you should not let your son play football i think that's ridiculous i think that's definitely something that has to be left up you know inside each family sportscasters are here with aaron nagler from Cheesehead TV is a co-founder of that, and also he's a national football blogger at BleacherReport.com. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Aaron underscore Nagler. I'd be remiss if I let you go without asking you a Packers question. And I guess, you know, they, they had this season last year that for, well, basically the entire regular season, it just seemed like it was an unstoppable force that was suddenly stopped in the playoffs. What do you expect? How do you expect the Packers to kind of bounce back from the disappointment of losing that playoff game to the Giants at home last year? Well, I think they'll still be one of the top five teams in the league. I, you know, I don't see them winning another going another fifteen and one. I do expect them to win the NFC North again, and I think their defense will be improved. And I they just think all they need is a little bit of pass rush will cure a lot of what ailed them last year. I mean. It's like you say, they were, they seemed unstoppable, but for those of us who watched them week in and week out, the flaws were pretty apparent. You know, and as the year went on, it was pretty apparent that those flaws were not getting fixed anytime soon. Um, and you saw Ted Thompson, he doesn't enter free agency a whole lot, but he, he plugged a hole there at the center position when he got Jeff Saturday. And now he, you know, he went out and made a few moves in free agency on defense with King Anthony Hargrove, and they just signed Philip Merling today. Uh, I think that's a really interesting pickup. And then they went heavy, heavy defense on the draft. And I think a lot of that young blood is going to help a lot because you saw last year, you know, people put up record numbers on the Packers defense because the quarterback could sit back there all day and, and pick out receivers. And people want to talk about Nick Collins' absence and things like that, but I think they definitely missed Colin Jenkins. His ability to get to the quarterback on third down really, the loss of that really killed them all year long. And I think Jarrell Worthy and Nick Perry and those guys will, will help in that regard. So I, I definitely think they'll be in the mix. You know, I, def, I certainly think they'll win the division. And once they get to the playoffs, as we have seen, anything can happen. 
All right, Aaron, uh, I mentioned it, BleacherReport.com, uh, Chisa TV. I mentioned the Twitter. Is there anything else you want to let our listeners know kind of about uh, what you do and, and where you do it and where they can find you and things like that? Uh, that's mighty nice of you. Uh, no, that's, those, are the, those are the two main avenues. And just look for lots of new video content that's going to be coming on Bleacher Report uh, throughout the summer and definitely once uh, the football season ramps up in the fall. We're going to do lots of fun video stuff that I hope everyone checks out. Thanks, Aaron. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. All right, I thank Aaron Nagler from BleacherReport.com for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, one last piece of business to do today, and that is to go around Football Nation. Before we do that, I want to remind you to feel free to email us to sportscasters at gmail.com if you have any questions, concerns, comments about the podcast. We're more than glad to hear from you. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are at sports underscore casters. And if you'd like to follow Football Nation, you can follow them at FBall Nation. Don't forget to check out Season 2, Episode 20 of the Sportscasters proper, featuring interviews with uh, Tass Mellis from the Basketball Jones podcast, Jeff Benedict, special contributor to SI.com, and also Kenny Albert, the uh, play-by-play voice of the New York Rangers Radio Network. You can find that at www.sports-casters.com on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. All right, uh, we have been closing out each show by looking at another article that has appeared in the past week on the Football Nation website. What do you got for us this week, Don? All right, my article comes from Ethan Demers, Demers, uh, and it's an article. It's another top 10 list. This one is the top 10 undrafted free agents of all time. Uh, I'm guessing he did this maybe in the spirit of Wes Welker uh, signing his franchise tag. He's got to be on there, right? He is on there. Maybe a little higher than I would think. He's got Warren Moon at 7, Kurt Warner at 6, uh, Welker at 5. I'm not sure I would argue that he was more important to the Patriots than warner was to the rams but either way uh give me the top three top three james harrison uh john randall and dick night train lane gotcha so all all hall of famers spanning generations good list he does yeah you know it's interesting because this time of the year like we said this was a slow week i think these list columns can kind of save a writer yeah because you know it gives you what else you write about about. yeah especially on a website where there's so many columns each week yep but uh my my uh, article this week is uh 2012 nfl draft preseason all rookie team it's by uh cooper allen contributor he's got 87 articles and 25,870 page views uh it, the most interesting thing about a preseason all rookie team i think right now is deciding between robert griffin and andrew luck you know because they were the one and they were sure. the two pick and uh he went with griffin Probably because thought is that there's a little bit more talent in Washington, that Green Bay is more kind of truly rebuilding. Washington kind of traded into that second spot. Uh, Bills fans will be happy to know that he has Cordy Glenn as uh, the right guard. Uh, Wide receivers, he has Kendall Wright and Michael Floyd. Shock of shocks. He has no, uh, no Blackman there, huh? And no Trent Richardson. Come on. He has David Wilson of the New York Giants. Interesting. So definitely a controversial column. I think I'm going to leave him a comment right now and tell him good job. But for my money, 
I'd now, be maybe, shocked. Maybe if, it's based on nothing but how he thinks they'll perform this year because maybe some of those guys are just – But do you think that anyone at the running back position is going to outperform Trent Richardson? Trent, I'd be surprised if anyone gets more chances than Trent, Trent Richardson because there's just nobody else on that team right now. But you know what? I think that's exactly what you want to do with a column like this is get, get two guys talking. like us talking yeah. about it. So good job. Cooper, he's got one of my Oklahoma boys, Jamal Fleming, as uh, one of the cornerbacks, which means he doesn't have Stephon Gilmore as one ah, of the cornerbacks. Yes. He's got right. Morris Claiborne and Fleming. But overall, a really nice job done with this. Definitely worth your time and uh, making a comment and getting into the debate. All right. want to thank Aaron Nagler for being on the show today. Uh, we're going to be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, let's go to California. Spend my days with a woman unkind, smoke my stuff and drink.